Welcome to Tripod, Improved Photography's Nature Photography Show. This show is for the weekend photo warriors, the wave a flashlight around in the black of nighters, and the F-16 users. This is Tripod. Hey everybody, and welcome back to this episode of Tripod, our nature photography podcast. Well, I've dialed up a unique podcast for you today. Today we're going to talk about some of the legal issues surrounding around just landscape and nature photography. It may seem like when you're not shooting people, you can kind of just avoid all that icky, annoying part of photography, but lately I've been getting a ton of questions, especially since on the last episode of the Improved Photography Podcast, I talked about stock photography. I've been getting a ton of questions this week uh, from people who are interested in selling their landscape and travel photos uh, after we had that interview with Steve Heap, who's you know selling his uh, his stock photography and making a, a good income from that of, of nature and landscape photography. So lots of questions about the legal stuff and what you can sell, what you can't sell, etc. So I thought, you know what, let's let's do a whole tripod episode just talking about some of the legal issues that uh, that photographers face. We're going to try to skip over um, all the protecting your photos kind of part and, aha, I caught somebody using my photo and stuff, just because I'm... Well, frankly, I'm not personal, personally super interested in that. You know, if somebody's just kind of being a jerk and taking all my photos and uh, using them and for commercial purposes and in a way that's kind of obviously not okay, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up for my work. But at the same time, I'm just not the guy who's going to go around and sue somebody for using my photo on, the, uh, on their website. That's just... It's just not something I'm interested in doing. And so uh, I'm going to talk more about how to protect your yourself as a photographer and to know your rights because I think it's an important thing to know. All right. So we're going to do this in a different format. Rather than just talking about, uh, you know, kind of going through this in a lecture style, I came up with 13 different situations that landscape photographers could commonly face. And actually many of these have faced these exact situations and you need to make a call. You need to understand what you can and can't do as a landscape photographer Uh, and, and wildlife as well. We're talking about some nature photography, but I will make one note in the beginning. I can tell you things about the, the United States law legal system. And what I will say is that laws in Canada, the UK, most of Europe are actually very similar uh, to these. But, you know, I'm an attorney, but I'm an attorney in the United States and Idaho. I, I don't know about what the laws are in Italy for, uh, for copyright and intellectual property. And so you do need to do some research and find out what things are, are there in your own, uh, in your own backyard. But this is, uh, hopefully a a helpful primer on that. All right, here's situation number one. This happened to me uh, just last week. I hiked 14 miles to troll Tunga in Norway. I'm exhausted, but it's beautiful. And so Troll Tunga is on the edge of a cliff. It's this little rock that juts out over a, like a 2,000 foot drop over a lake and just an incredible cliff. Uh, you've undoubtedly seen photos of it. Uh, so I hiked in there and the, the rock is just not that impressive if you don't have a person in the photo. And I didn't have a way to remotely trigger my camera to to get myself in there. And so uh, because it takes about a minute to kind of climb down from the shooting spot over to where you would actually stand on the rock. So I couldn't just do a, a 30 second timer. 
So I wanted to photograph someone else standing on the rock. And so uh, the person's face is not showing in the picture. And the question is, can I post that photo on my website and offer it for sale? So this is kind of a quiz. I'm going to give you a second with each of these uh, so that you can make your own decision. So take a second, think, uh, has a person person's face in there, but the face is not showing, you know, they're turned to the back. Can I post this photo on my website and offer it for sale? This, like many of these questions, is it depends. One issue is you're in Norway. You're in a different country, and so you need to check uh, the laws of, of what's what's going to happen there, especially if the person is in Norway and could sue you in Norway and not in the United States. Um, but supposing this were in the United States and following U.S. law, the answer would be probably yes, that you can sell this photo. Actually, you could probably sell this photo even if the person's face was showing. If you're selling that photo as fine art, you know, you're going to frame this and sell it at an art show, it's probably okay to do so. Generally, a, a use that, that is fine art that's that's sold as art is going to be considered more of an editorial use because nobody sees a photo of, of somebody standing on, on a mountain that's framed and thinks, oh, wow, that person endorses this office that, that has the picture in here, you know? No, you just think beautiful photo, right? So it looks less like an endorsement. We don't have to worry so much about that right of publicity. This is kind of an exception there. Um, and we're going to talk about a a legal case um, with a Hasidic Jew who had a kind of a similar situation in New York later um, and how the photographer was able to use a photo of that person um, for fine art photography. However, could I take that same photo and sell it on stock only if the person was not recognizable? Even if it's just the back of the person's face, um, you know, if I see the back of Barack Obama's head and he's standing there in front of a pulpit in the West Wing, I know it's Barack Obama. And so it doesn't matter that his face is not showing. I still know who that is. And so he's still going to have a right of publicity. So uh, not showing the person's face is definitely helpful, but it, it's not a panacea. It doesn't mean, oh, you know, you're suddenly fine to use the photo however, however you want. All right, that's situation one. You've hopefully passed quiz number one. On to quiz question number two. Here we go. I took a photo in a national park and I really like it. Someone asked me if they can buy the photo, but I'm not sure because I did not have a commercial photography permit. What can I do? What do you think? Can you sell the photo? The answer is yes. You're clearly in the right here. Uh, there's no issue. The national parks have been a pain about this uh, over the last decade, really. They've really tried to stretch themselves um, and come after some photographers uh, for just doing commercial photography, uh, even if it's not really getting in any way, anybody's way and etc. in the national parks. Uh, but it, they are losing those challenges. Um, and, and really, you are going to be fine. You can do commercial photography in national parks. You know, you want to photograph uh, Yosemite Falls or whatever else you're going to shoot. You're going to be just fine there. The same is probably going to be true in uh, in any state parks. Not not really going to be an issue at all. If you're doing landscape or nature photography, you're in a state park or a national park. That's fine. Uh, generally, what's owned by the federal by the government is also owned by the people. And so, um, since we all collectively own that place, you're going to be just fine. All right. Here's the next situation. Number three. 
uh, let's say you're using the really good photo spots app, which should be out shortly. Um, and someone found my location on there and offered to pay me 300 bucks to take them around for the day. So if they see, Hey, this guy submitted a bunch of, bunch of places in Kauai, he must live here. I'm going to ping him on social media and see if, uh, he'd, if I could pay him 300 bucks to kind of show me all the hot spots. And so you're tempted. You want to take the $300, want to get paid to go take somebody out shooting for the day. Um, and you go out to a little state park, you start shooting a park ranger comes by and uh threatens to fine you five thousand bucks because you don't have a permit permit is that right uh, do you really have to do uh, have to do that and the answer is you're totally out of luck on this one the same thing is going to be true in national parks, etc. The government does have the right to, to regulate uh, the commercial use of, of their places. And so, yeah, they could, they could have ordinances on the books that are going to uh, require you to get a permit if you're going to do any guiding in the parks. So this is an issue because um, a lot of us are teaching photography workshops. We're taking meetup groups out from the local camera club club, etc. And it feels so innocent to take one person out and and start shooting uh, or even, you know, go with your local camera club and you just want to go into a uh, over to Yosemite and shoot. It's a free thing. Nobody's paying. It's a camera club. But that may actually require a permit. And I do have quite a bit of, of experience with this part uh, because we Meet, do meetups pretty frequently for improved photography, uh, just free meetups to, to meet with, with you guys and, and shoot for a few days. In the past, we've well, we've been all over the place. And it's really tricky uh, when we do this. Generally, what I hear from the national parks is they want a group of 15 or fewer to have no permit, even if nobody is paying, if there's just a free meetup, you know, a camera club kind of deal, uh, 15 or fewer is usually what they want. But I've, I've have found that this depends on who you talk to at the office and how nice that person <laughs> feels like that day. Um, I have, uh, in one case, we had 75 people um, in a national park and they, we didn't require a permit because we kind of all split up to do some of the shoots. Not, and so we were in smaller groups and it was a time where there wasn't a lot of pressure in the national park. It wasn't the peak season. Uh, in fact, I heard that in some of the national parks, they just won't allow anybody uh, in for, with, with permits uh, during those peak seasons because they're just over capacity and they just don't want to take anything else. The real trouble with getting those permits, though, is that they almost always, at least the national parks, they want an itinerary of what you're, where you're going to be and when and how many people and how many cars you're going to drive. And usually, I don't know that. It depends on the weather. Uh, you know, if if it's super cloudy all day, uh, then I may go shoot waterfalls. And if it's uh, if it looks like it's going to be a great sunset, I may go to the big wide vista so I can get a lot of uh, a lot of sky in the shot. It really depends. So usually, what I do is I just try to be as nice as possible when I'm talking uh, to the to the permit people uh, with the state or national parks. Just explain my situation, and then whatever you do, I always confirm by email. I say, hey, can I just get your email address, and I'll just confirm our conversation that you said we don't need a permit by email, and then I print that off, and I 
take it in my photo bag. Uh, and then if a park ranger stops you, which has happened to me multiple times, um, if a park ranger stops you, you can say, Hey, I talked to so-and-so I explained what we're doing. She said, we don't need a permit. Uh, and you're usually be just fine. Uh, but, uh, but it's tough if you talk to a park ranger and you say, I talked to somebody and they said, I don't need a permit. And then he says you do. And, uh, it, it can really be kind of a messy situation. So, if you're for a commercial photography itself, just taking a picture, you're good. Uh, if you're going to have a model there, then usually you're going to need a, a permit, even though that's ridiculous. Um, but certainly if you're bringing other people in who are paying you, or if you're in a large group, even if it's free, you're, you're going to want to check on permitting. And you're going to need to do that at least a month in advance. Uh, in fact, I did in Arizona in a state park, I asked them a month in advance and they had such ridiculous uh, requ requirements for the permit that uh, we couldn't even shoot in, in one of the locations. Uh, they wanted us to stay in the parking lot to shoot. We couldn't leave the parking lot. I was like, what? That's absurd. Uh, and it was in an extremely remote location. I mean, there was nobody else would be there that we were bothering or anything. Uh, and the, you know, it was just desert. There wasn't like, you know, sensitive moss or something we were going to be trampling on. All right, here we go. This is situation number four. Let's see how you're doing on our quiz. Hopefully you're, you're hundred percent so far. Here we go. I was driving to a landscape photo shoot and I saw police arresting a drunk guy. The policemen got mad at me for photographing them. They threatened to arrest me if I didn't leave. And then after it was over, they told me to delete the photos. Ah, this is really tricky. I've been in a similar situation to this photographing an arrest. The police officers, first of all, have a tough job. We got to be nicer to police. <laughs> Policemen have had a tough time in the media recently, uh, some for, for good reason, uh, but some, uh, they're just getting overly scrutinized in some situations as well. And so uh, dealing with law enforcement officers can be tricky. Um, what I would say is anytime you're photographing a policeman, you know, this is what you're photographing, give them a huge amount of room to do their job. Uh, you know, if they're arresting somebody, they need to look around. They want to make sure their, their friend in the crowd isn't going to come behind them and club them, you know. They have a right to be concerned and you do need to give them more room than you think. Uh, and if you're at all impeding them from doing their job, they are definitely going to arrest you and they'd be right to do so. Um, but if you are completely out of the situation, uh, and it's, it's clear that you're giving them plenty of room, uh, then you're totally fine to do this. Uh, many police departments have, or in, and city ordinances have tried, uh, to restrict photography in this way. And, uh, without question, they have all been, uh, all those ordinances have been struck down, uh, because it's a clear first amendment violation. We, we do have an interest as a public in photographing, uh, law enforcement actions and, and keeping them honest as well. Uh, a, a couple times I've had police officers called on me when I was out shooting. And what I would just generally say is most law enforcement officers are nice people and they're quickly going to see that you're not a criminal and you're just trying to take pictures and it's going to be fine. So if they're being polite and friendly, just explain what you're doing. Just be nice. Uh, and they're going to be very reasonable with you. Every once in a while, though, you may find somebody who is on a little bit of a power trip or kind of a jerk uh, and being very unreasonable. And in those kind of situations, I mean, we see like almost on a monthly basis, photographers are getting arrested. Uh, I mean, it's pretty constant uh, throughout the United States uh, for different reasons. 
And so if you notice, hey, this is starting to escalate, this is more of a problem than I bargained for, uh, then what I, what I personally would do is always give your name and identification to law enforcement officers. Uh, if they ask your name, your identification, just do it. Um, but after that, it's almost never in your interest to answer questions. You know, if they say, what are you taking pictures for? You have every right to just sit there and not answer. Um, uh, if you're being detained, you know, it feels like you can't leave, repeatedly ask, am I free to leave right now? Um, and and see what they say, uh, because they, they have a, a different level that they need to rise to before they can detain you, except for a very temporary uh, stop and frisk kind of situation. Uh, so, so if you feel like, hey, is this turning into an arrest or, you know, I'm getting questioned, I don't want to answer questions, say, am I free to leave? Uh, that puts them in a situation where they're really kind of forced uh, to say, yes, you're under arrest, you're either being temporarily detained or you can leave. And if you're free to leave, just go. Um, it's, it's just not worth the photo. Just go. Um Okay, so, and then law enforcement, I've heard multiple times from photographers where law enforcement officers or security guards ask you to delete a photo. Never, ever do it. It is never, they can never do that without a court order. A police officer probably can't even turn on your camera and look at the photos uh, with, without a warrant. Uh, the, you just, you can't, uh, they, they really just cannot do that. They cannot delete your photos. Uh, that's, a, that's a taking. All right. Uh, we have gone through five questions. This is question number six on our quiz. See how you're doing. I was in the Smithsonian Museum and a, a security guard asked me if I'm a professional if I'm a f professional photographer. I said that I am and he asked me to 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 leave. What should I do? Well, the Smithsonian Museum is private property, but private property which is open to the public. Obviously, anybody is welcome to go in uh, to the Smithsonian and pay. And so or you you probably have to pay to enter, etc. So, do they have the right to make you leave? Yes, absolutely. They have a right to uh, to make you leave. Now, can you take pictures in there if there's no sign uh, to the contrary? Yes, but they still, even if there's no sign to the contrary, they can ask you to leave because it's private property. The same is going to be true really anywhere you shoot. If you're on public property, you're going to be fine to take pictures, just period. If you're in a public place, you can take pictures. Uh, local community park, yes. On a roadside, yes. Uh, if you're in a national park, yes, you can always take those pictures. Can you also take pictures on private property? Yes, uh, you can always always do that unless, of course, uh, you, uh, you know, if the landowner asks you to leave, etc., then yeah, you do have to stop taking pictures. Or let's say I go to a professional football game. Well, there they could say that you're not allowed to do uh, commercial photography. And if you post those photos, uh, then yeah, they, they could come out at you because, you know, you had a contract uh, with them by entering, entering the event, you agreed to these terms. All right. So, uh, so we've talked about where we can shoot, what law enforcement can do. Now I have one that's a little bit trickier. Listen to this situation. This is number seven. I was driving around the fields of Iowa and I spotted some sheep in a morning sunrise. I stopped and photographed the sheep as part of the landscape. I want, I posted the photo online and a farmer got mad at me for posting the photo of his, of his farm. I was shooting from public property. 
can I use the photo to, to sell? You know, let's say it's a photo of barn and the sheep, etc. Well, the answer to this is maybe. It really depends. Um, if you're in a public, uh, you know, from the public roadside and you're shooting public property, you know, farm, barn, whatever, clearly you're fine. You're in a public place. You can photograph private property from a public place. You're clearly fine there. The question here is that it brings in, uh, brings up the topic of ag gag laws. Uh, this is agriculture gag laws, uh, as they're called. And these have just kind of sprung up in the last 10 years. Uh, but basically what the farming and ranching industry is trying to do is prevent these videos from getting online from PETA and other organizations where they're secretly filming, uh, you know, a million chickens in an hour getting their heads chopped off and then chopped up and sold to become, you know, McDonald's chicken nuggets and stuff. So they wanted to stop this from happening. The problem is if they try to stop it in traditional ways, it kind of goes against the First Amendment. We have the right to do those kind of things and freedom of speech. And so they say, ah, uh, what can we do? And they say, aha, we're going to make ag-gag laws uh, that you cannot photograph or record in any way, including video, um, agriculture or livestock. And so a number of laws have tried ag-gag laws. Uh, I, I think about 15 or 20 uh, as I was kind of glancing through. Um, Idaho, my state, has also had one in the past, but it got struck down as being unconstitutional, and so have many others. Um, the, the, the issue here is, you know, they don't want... The, the purpose of this is not really to stop photography. Uh, they don't really care that somebody's photographing barns or wheat fields. The, what they're really trying to stop is, is uh, animal rights activists or you know people who are you know writing articles about pesticide, etc. But it really does infringe on photographers' rights. And what we're generally seeing is that these laws are being found unconstitutional. And so I really wouldn't worry about this at all. Um, any you know any question about photographing ag agriculture, farm fields, etc. I wouldn't worry about it at all. Because not only is the law probably going to be unconstitutional um, or written in a way that kind of excludes uh, this kind of situation, but also just from a practical standpoint, a farmer would would not sue you in their right mind uh, using this kind of law uh, because it's, you have the perfect set of facts to, for the law to be struck down. Uh, so I, I, I don't think we should worry as photographers at all about these kind of ag-gag laws. I would fight them. Uh, it, you know, I would email my congressman, etc., uh, my state congressman. Um, but in terms of, you know, should you not take the picture of a farm? No, you're going to be absolutely fine. All right, this is the next situation. Hopefully you're doing all right on our little quiz today. And thanks for indulging me in a quiz. I think this is a kind of a fun podcast. All right, I photographed a house on Lombard Street in San Francisco, and I sold this photo as stock. Turns out a company bought the photo and used it in an article online about foreclosure. Now the homeowner found it and is mad at me uh, for defaming him since it was an article about, um, about foreclosure and also for not having a property release to photograph the house. Am I in trouble? I'll give you a second to think about it. You photographed a private house, but you did so from the sidewalk. The article was used in an, uh, or the photo was used in an article about foreclosure. What do you think? Well, uh, this is, uh, 
uh, I mean, if the question is, are you in trouble? Yeah, you're in trouble because even if you're in the right, um, this can still be an expensive problem to fix in the in the court system. But are you? Uh, do you have any kind of liability here? No. In fact, there's a case exactly on this point about a photographer who photographed a house on Lombard Street and it was used um, uh, to about foreclosure. And so the court found that the photographer was in the right here. He was in a public place photographing private property. And the house uh, doesn't really have publicity publicity rights like a like a person does, um, and so the the court found that the photographer really was just fine in this situation, uh, and that it didn't have anything to worry about. So this really opens up a lot of things. You know, when for those of you who are shooting cityscapes, things like that, you really don't have to worry about this. Uh, case law is really piling up to to defend photographers here. All right, here's the next situation. I was in Paris and I photographed a church. There was an ancient statue in front that was the center focus point of my photo. Now the church is suing me for infringement on the copyrighted statue. Am I in trouble? Well, first of all, you're in in Paris. So Paris law um, is going to be uh, your issue here. But let's just talk about the situation uh, in general. First of all, if the statue really is ancient, then you're probably fine. It's probably out uh, or... The, the copyright rights are probably not being held anymore. Um, uh, also, you're in a public place um, and you're, you're photographing private property, so you're probably just fine to take the, uh, the picture. And so you really, you have no issue here. You should be just fine. Now, if the situation were a little bit different and this weren't an ancient statue, this is a very famous modern statue, Ooh, that's, that's stickier. It really depends. I mean, can you take their copyrighted work and now you use it commercially? Well, generally, no. The question is, do we have an exception to that for fair use? And so we would really have to look at the facts. Things like, you know, is the, is the statue just a de minimis small part of uh, insignificant part of the photo? You know, you're shooting from a high rise and there happens to be a statue way down there on the ground. Eh, you're probably, probably going to be fine. There are, that's going to be a difficult uh, legal analysis and it's going to be a little bit more tricky. All right. Uh, we are to the next question. We are we have four more situations. Uh, I'm curious to see how you guys do uh, on this quiz. All right, I'm driving past a farm full of tulips, and I got a great shot of the tulips and a windmill, but both the tulips and the windmill are private property. But I was shooting from the roadside. Do I need a property release to sell the photo as fine art or stock photography? The answer is no, you're going to be totally fine from this. If you're in a public place uh, photographing uh, private property, you're going to be okay. Now, sometimes you may be wondering about this because we hear about situations where photographers have been sued for photographing private property. Uh, in fact, there's a, a case in, in uh, South Carolina where a photographer was photographing a, um, uh, excuse me, a uh, plantation. I couldn't think of the word uh, plantation. Uh, but there were some other facts in that case that uh, that made it very different. Uh, for example, the photographer passed through a locked gate uh, and was essentially trespassing. It wasn't public property uh, open or wasn't private property open to the public. This area was closed off. And so that, that changes the situation pretty significantly. All right, here's the next one. 
I was teaching a photography workshop and a participant tripped over my tripod and injured their knee. Oh no. They have asked me to pay for some of their medical bills and I'm worried about being sued. What should I do? All right. On this one, there's a good chance that you really have no liability whatsoever. This one I kind of wanted to just just throw in there, especially for those of you who are teaching workshops or classes uh, or you know, think you may be doing that someday. Um, I, I think a lot of the public perception is that if somebody gets hurt and you're at all involved, you're liable for that. You know, we hear about somebody with uh, very hot coffee uh, spilling it on themselves, McDonald's coffee, and then suing McDonald's. Uh, even though there are some facts in that that really change the public, per- that should change the public perception of that. Um, but, uh, you know, or somebody trips on a banana peel in a supermarket. Well, is Walmart liable for that? Um, well, maybe and maybe not. It really depends on one question. Was Walmart negligent in that in what happened to that person? For example, if the banana peel had been there for two weeks, it's totally brown and rotten. It, there were ample opportunities to clean the floor, and they just didn't. Um, and there were multiple banana peels. It was just a messy trip fest in Walmart. Then, yeah, probably Walmart's going to be negligent, and uh, they will have to pay um, damages for, for what happened to the person. Uh, the, in this case of the photographer who tripped over the tripod, you know, just having a tripod set up is not a negligent action. And so just because somebody got hurt doesn't mean that you're in any way liable. Um, the question is if you did so negligently, you know, if you, uh, set down your camera bag right on the edge of a cliff where there were a bunch of people running a 5k that was probably kind of negligent you knew people were running a 5k on this cliff edge and you set down your your photo bag there it's a trip it's a trip hazard then sure Uh, but just if somebody just gets injured they have to somehow prove that you were negligent uh, that you didn't show a certain standard of care um, in uh, in preventing that injury from happening All right, here's the next one. And this is a very common situation uh, and one that really works out in the, uh, well, (laughs) I can't say that I'm going to give it away. All right, here you go. You're in New York and you photograph uh, the beautiful New York skyline, but in front, in the foreground, a couple is sitting on the edge of a pier and they're kissing. It's like this perfect uh, couple there uh, right in front of the skyline. You're like, yes, it's photography gold. And so I photographed this couple in front of the skyline. The photo clearly shows their faces. Uh, you know, the people are easily identifiable in the photo, but you really want to frame this photo and sell it at an art show. Can you? And the answer here is probably yes. Fine art photography, um, because you're you're using it as fine art, is probably going to be okay. Now, there are certain limitations that we just don't know um, some of the answers here, and it's going to depend a lot on the facts. Um, I mentioned earlier there was a case of uh, a photographer, a portrait photographer, I believe in New York, if I remember right, uh, who basically set up kind of a hidden camera deal uh, with some lighting. And then as people walk through this spot, uh, you know, it would trigger the camera and take pictures. And well, there was a, a Jew, a Jewish person who walked through, was photographed. And then the photographer without the person's com- uh, permission, then used the photo and sold it as fine art. Uh, I want to say it was expensive, like $25,000 or something. Um, and it was deemed that that was an acceptable use of the, of the person's image uh, in the photograph, 
but there were some limitations on it. Uh, for example, it was a limited print run, etc. And so uh, with fine art photography, just because a person is in the photo and you're using it as, pi- as fine art, it, it's not like a panacea, like, aha, you can just do whatever you want. Uh, but probably you're going to be fine if you're use if there's an identifiable person, but you're selling that photo as fine art. It's presented as fine art. Um, now, could you take the same photo of the couple kissing in front of the New York skyline and sell it as stock photography? Well, no, because somebody could take that same picture and then use it on a billboard. And now it looks like that couple is endorsing that company with uh, with their likeness. And so that's not going to be okay. You need to the problem is not taking the photo. The f- problem is how that photo is going to be published. It's the publisher uh, and the way that it's published that's that's the real issue. Of course, you can photograph the couple kissing there. They're in public. They have no expectation of privacy. Um, and then it gets stickier as we say, okay, fine art. What if I'm selling a photo book and I want to put that the this photo of the couple kissing in front of the New York skyline on the cover? You know, I'm kind of advertising my photography with this. Probably yes, but we're getting stickier. Um, you know, now I want to take that and I want to put it on a postcard. Is a postcard fine art? Well, yeah, but it's, it's starting to look a little bit different. Um, can I put this on my on my website to advertise my services, or can I put this in a you know on Facebook and say come book a session with me? Ooh, now it's starting to look a little bit more uh, like this is advertising, like you may be appropriating uh, their right to publicity or, and their likeness. And so it's it's not cut and dry. It really isn't. But if it's just a couple of a couple kissing in front of the New York skyline. You're going to print, you know, five copies and sell it as fine art. Yep, you're you're probably going to be just fine. All right, here's the last one, a, a bit controversial. The law is less settled here. I'm a wildlife photographer and I photographed a monkey in a zoo with an out of focus background. Can I sell the photo as stock? Ah, well, as stock, the answer is probably no, because uh, as far as I know, none of the stock photography uh, agencies are accepting zoo photography, but because it's, it's a little bit stickier. Uh, but but can you you know print this as fine art etc yeah probably yes the there are a couple questions though um one is some of the zoos may have as part of the fine print on your ticket etc uh, that they don't uh, allow fine art photography so we could have kind of a contract issue um there and then some animals may have uh some of the rights similar to humans if it's a very very famous animal uh etc and so it's not cut and dry one way or the other. Uh, it's something that we'd want to look at facts and it may just be something that, that the courts would have to decide. But probably, yes, probably this is okay to do. All right, that does it for our uh, our legal photography, uh, legal nature photography quiz. Um, I I hope this was a helpful episode. It's something a little bit different than what we normally do on Tripod. Uh, in the next couple episodes, I have some pretty cool things coming for you guys um, on Tripod. I'm talking to the makers of LR Time Lapse, and I want to find out uh, kind of the inside scoop of what it can do. And also, I'm talking to uh, some photographers who wrote a book on night photography, and we're going to see if they can give us some of their best tips on night photography in future episodes. 
Thanks everybody for listening. Oh, and I, I will also point out one more resource. Um, not so much for uh, the nature of photography, uh, but just legal photography in general. Check out, if you just go to improvephotography.com, there's a little button there uh, for premium training or just go to improvephotography.com slash store. And we have a number of, of uh, contracts there, like a property release, a, a model release, etc. And it's it's really inexpensive. It's 15 bucks uh, to, to get all of those contracts. And so if you kind of just want to watch your back, just make sure you're kind of doing things, uh, doing things right, um, then just pick that up. And then you always have those contracts that you can customize uh, however you need, uh, just kind of as templates for, uh, for your photo business, etc. And also, I have an article uh, called Setting Up a Photography Business Legally that kind of walks you through all of the steps you'd have to do to, you know, create an LLC, etc. If you're wanting to uh, get some liability protection for you as a photographer, uh, if you're starting to teach workshops, that'd probably be a good idea. Uh, if you're doing uh, lots of paid shoots, things like that, uh, it'd probably be a good idea of something to do. And and if not, uh, it walks you through all the tax stuff as well, um, at least in the United States again. So if you make any money with your photography, you know, you're selling some prints, etc. Well, you're going to get taxed for that, uh, for that income. And really as photographers, you probably won't have to pay taxes if you have enough expenses. You know, every time you drive to a, a photo location, etc., you can write off those miles every time you buy gear, etc. So only really, if you're doing this full time and have significant income, uh, will you, probably have to pay any tax at all uh, on the photography side of, of your life if you organize things right. So um, check that out. Just it's just Google it. It's called Setting Up a Photography Business Legally. Thanks everybody for joining me on this episode of Tripod and we will see you in just a little while.